So you guys know that um, occasionally, and a little bit more this year than other years, I want to give up uh, the Sunday morning platform to some of our incredible pastors on staff. John Hume will be up this week, and uh, Nicodemus is his topic. So he asked if he could do the deep dive on Nicodemus and let me muddle through experiencing God. <laughs> so, um, John, take it away. John chapter 3, I believe we're starting. 19. We'll start John, 19. Okay, starting John 19, and I'm going to take notes in my Bible. <laughs> hey, if we get started, I have a question for you just to get you talking a little bit. Um, if you could go back in time, if it was possible, to witness any event in the Bible. All right, if you go back in time and witness any event in the Bible, and I'm going to take away the birth, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to take those away. Okay, so you can't choose either of those. But if you go back in time and witness any event, what would you go back and witness, and why would you want to witness that event? The feeding of the 5,000. Okay. Feeding of the 5,000. Okay, we'll start doing that. Well, why? Why? Because um, being on that end of the uh, homemaking spectrum, I'm always intrigued in how you can feed that many people. <laughs> Good point. Excellent. When Jesus appeared to the two on the road to a mess. He'd be taking mine. Now. <laughs> can you guys hear what's being said in the room? Pentecost. Um, John asked, uh, what would we want to go back and see? And we've heard the feeding of the 5,000. He said because she uh, has fed a lot of people and would be intrigued at how that exactly happened. Uh, George said he wanted to be there when the Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, which set off Gary whining about that being his. <laughs> I'm leaning towards David and Goliath because I love an underdog. Although I'm not sure Goliath was the underdog. Mm. And Bill said Pentecost. Pentecost. Bill said Pentecost. Um, Speaking in tongues. Yeah, why? Why? Speaking in tongues. Most amazing thing that ever happened, Mr. Powell. And how the Holy Spirit came down and empowered all these people. To... So Bill said Pentecost. Yeah. Now I want to go back to the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, because that's the part where it, it, it says that Jesus revealed all things in the scripture pertaining to him. Ooh. And that would have been something to hear. Wow. There you go, Barrett. Need to take a lot of notes. <laughs> All right, anybody online? Anybody online? I got one that wasn't said. Um, when Deborah was right before the war, and she told the guy, "This is what go, what God told you to do," and he was like, "Well, if I have to go, you got to go with me." <laughs> and I don't want to be there for that conversation. Like. <laughs> All right, um, I told you, but see, now a woman's going to do it. Oh, <laughs> I would just want to witness that. <laughs> you know, Taylor, cool. she, uh, and uh, the Deborah, the judge in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, um, I think Barak was the warrior who was supposed to be brave, and um, uh, they were about to go to war, and his big statement of faith was, I'll go if you'll go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, is. That's one of the ones you always bring up. That you yeah. Kind of question. Yeah, he's a man of faith, but his big statement of faith was, I'll go if you'll go. Yeah. <laughs> Gideon. Gideon. Yeah. 
How about Sodom and Gomorrah with God? I mean, the fire and brimstone and and then Lot's wife. Oh, you weren't supposed to look at that. <laughs> Bad thing happened there. What perspective did you want to be? <laughs> yeah. Let's hear turn to uh, Saul. Yes. Lord of Saul. I, uh, I, I think about stories like this. Um, again, I've told you before, these things happen, right? Just beautiful um, situations. We, we start here in Genesis 19. We're going to look at Nicodemus Sunday. I mean, John, I did. Yeah, thank you. But look at the end of the, the last things we hear about Nicodemus. How did we get there? And then kind of go backwards. So Genesis, or John, John 19, uh, 39 through 42. Would you look at those verses? Would somebody mention that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will somebody read verses 39 through 42 of John 19 for us? He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds. What am I supposed to keep going? Yeah. Dude. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Yeah, so it starts off that Nicodemus was with him. He was with a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. What do you know about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea? Anything? Didn't Joseph of Arimathea, wasn't it his, his tomb? Yes, mm. that's what most people believe. It was his, his tomb. Ask about Nicodemus? Yes, well, or Joseph. We're going to get to looking a lot about Nicodemus in just a second. But. Well, Nic Nicodemus, the wee little man. Uh, that was Zacchaeus. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Zacchaeus. That's all right. Verse 38 says that he was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. Secret one. For fear of the Jews. So it's interesting here at the very end, Jesus has died and they're taking his body to be buried. And we have two men here who are called basically secret disciples of Jesus. The people who had been following Jesus for multiple years are here at this point. But there are two men who are. Uh, Joseph, a rich man. We know from the book of Mark 15 that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, just like Nicodemus. So not only was he a rich man, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin. We'll talk in a few minutes about what the Sanhedrin is. Um, in Luke 23, we read that uh, Joseph did not agree with or did not consent to Jesus' death. So remember the Sanhedrin, uh, Pharisee, did not consent to Jesus' death. I, I read this hint that his love for Jesus and Nicodemus' love for Jesus moved them to go public and make clear their affection for Jesus. Again, called secret disciple, right? We'll think about that in just a minute why they were secret. So how did we get to this point where Nicodemus and Joseph's life, they might not have been in danger, but I believe their reputation and what was going to happen for them the rest of their life, uh, not that our, their reputation might have been in danger. How did we get to this point? 
Think about this. Again, it's interesting to think that the disciples who followed Jesus openly during his life had fled at his death. The layman's Bible commentary says uh, those who followed him secretly during his life declared themselves now at his death. So how did we get here with Nicodemus? Now we're going to jump to a very famous book, chapter John, chapter 3. They're both Pharisees. Yes. And a member of the Sanhedrin. So uh, we'll, we'll talk in just a minute with Nicodemus about what it meant to be a part of the Sanhedrin. Um, it was interesting to me to read that in the book of Mark, that they uh, both designated those guys. Uh, so we started at the cross, but now we're going to go backwards. We're now to a point where we're at night. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. And, and I think that all of us will know one of these verses from here, John 3, 16, mm -hmm. and maybe some more. Um, but Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a man who had everything. <laughs> because of his prominent in Jewish society, one of the uh, books I read this week about, uh, it was a Messianic uh, Jewish man who wrote this. He said that, uh, Nicodemus could not be ignored. Every rabbi had to pursue a trade or a side business from which he earned a living so that he could teach the scriptures free of charge. Hmm. But nowadays, we get paid. So don't get any ideas about that. All right. Nowadays, we get paid. All right. Um, we think about That's right. Paul. What was Paul? Tent maker. Paul was a tent maker. Right? We, see, we see some evidence of this throughout the scripture. Uh, so Nicodemus. Um, well, Jesus was a carpenter. A carpenter, sure. yeah. Thank you. Oh, that's a great one. I've got to, I'll remember that. Uh, this book also said that uh, Nicodemus, according to their tradition, was a well, well digger. And he became very wealthy. They estimate that he was one of the three wealthiest men in Jerusalem. Hmm. So Nicodemus was a man of power, prestige, man of position. He wanted more than he had, and he wanted to know what Jesus was teaching about. He was very serious about religion. Jesus starts this, or John starts this, there was a man from the Pharisee named Nicodemus. Yeah, Steve. You know, I, I confess my knowledge of Nicodemus got a little cloudy after watching the Chosen Season 1, where there's interactions between either him watching and witnessing or eventually talking with Jesus. How far do you think they took that over the line? Because I'm, I'm trying to remember what scripture says versus yeah. the powerful stuff in that series one. Well, let's do this. Let, let's look at this. Okay. And then there's there are three places Nicodemus is mentioned. Right? We've looked at the end with the with the taking his body and, and using spikes, but we'll get back to that. If not tonight on Sunday morning. Then we're here at John chapter three, where he first arrives and talks to Jesus at night. There we go. Yeah. And then there's another point when he is going to, uh, with the Pharisees, uh, again, challenge them on, on what they're doing with Jesus. But a Pharisee, they're characterized by zeal to obey God's law. So when John said, the man who's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, that's all he had to say to these people. And his early readers, they knew exactly who Nicodemus was. Now, think about that just a minute. 
In what ways do we describe people? Like a one word way, do we describe people that just gets a picture in our mind of exactly who they are? And we might not be right in those estimates, right? We could say so and so a Republican or so and so a Democrat. I asked it to our team the other morning, the discipleship team, and uh, I won't say who this was, but she leads our prayer ministry. Uh, she said, <laughs> "Well, she said annoying," and I don't know if she was talking about. Uh, one word ways that we can describe someone that helps us know exactly what we're talking about. John said there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A Pharisee, characterized again by zeal to obey God's law. About 6,000 men that were committed to obeying all 613 of God's law. The 248 do's, the 365 don'ts. And they were so committed that they developed additional commands to make sure that they didn't miss or violate any of the 613. 6,000 Pharisees. Where, where are you in Scripture? I'm just telling you history right oh. now. But John 3, 1, he was a Pharisee. That's what we know about the Pharisee. But he was also part of what they call the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was 70, some people say 71 men who were led by the high priest. They were a governing body of the nation. Um, think of it as if the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Supreme Court were combined, right? These are... Uh, these are powerful men in this area. And we also know there were also a group called the Sadducees. And we don't have Sadducees here, but I just want to let you know that the Sadducees only read and studied the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They lived with strict <clears throat> adherence to the written law. The Sadducees did. The Pharisees would have believed in a resurrection, but the Sadducees... They were so sad, you see. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You stole my joke. They didn't resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see, right? Yeah, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Nicodemus and Joseph, but Nicodemus, a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin. So he was well knowledgeable. He was very knowledgeable about the scripture, well versed in the scripture. He knew the Old Testament and the law because he taught it and taught others to teach it. So when he approached Jesus here at verse one, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Nicodemus would have known that Jesus was not a trained rabbi. But yet he showed him respect by calling him rabbi. And I don't think this was a, uh, this wasn't a, just a slight or anything. I think, I think Nicodemus did respect Jesus. Now, why do you think he came to Jesus at night? Didn't want anyone to know. Didn't want anyone to know? Yeah. And he was going to stay. Yeah, because he was um, on the Sanhedrin and, and, I guess he had credibility and didn't want them to socially. Right. Yeah. He figured Jesus, Jesus so might not be busy. And Jesus might not be busy. He'd be available to listen and talk and have discourse, <clears throat> yeah. not be distracted. 
So this, they're saying he came, on, he came at night, uh, people online, uh, because uh, he didn't want other people to see him. Uh, he was part of the, uh, being a high part of the uh, Sanhedrin. Uh, maybe part of his reputation needed to be held there. And then George said that uh, maybe Jesus was maybe a little more accessible at night. They could have a conversation. Uh, two different commentaries I read talked about how the law was discussed at night. And I wonder, that came right after they talked about how uh, they had side jobs to raise money. So um, I wonder if that's the time they talked at night. I think we can think of all these things, but I think we recognize that Nicodemus came to Jesus because he had questions. And what I think is great about that is he went to the right person to get his answers. I mean, how often do we have questions about something that we go to the wrong person? He had questions about being born again or questions for Jesus, and uh, he asked him. So as we keep reading, again, he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God are with him. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, as Jesus so often does, he cuts through everything and just gets to the heart of the matter. Nicodemus was kind, rabbi, we recognize through these things. Jesus doesn't even respond to that. He just gets right to the heart of everything. I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. One of the uh, tenets of the rules that Nicodemus would have lived by <clears throat> is that all Israel will share in the age to come. Nicodemus believed in the, the faith that he was living in at this point was faith in the fact that he was born into a Jewish family. He was living a Jewish life. And because of that, because he was a child of Abraham, that's all that needed to happen for him to become part of the kingdom of God. And right away, before Jesus even talks to him anymore, he says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born when he's old? Can you enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born from water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I've told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus was constantly addressing that issue. In, in Matthew 3, he said, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, I can raise up children of Abraham. That uh, what Nicodemus was struggling with was, was sort of an ongoing theme. The, the birthright of the Jews was favor. And Jesus was saying there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new, a new covenant, a new way of thinking. And he's completely, through this passage, he completely just shakes and turns to all the theology that Nicodemus has on its head. I, I, um, 
Well, let me skip through some of these. Uh, he's basically telling him these things. You can't keep enough rules. You can't give enough money. You can't attend enough services. You can't memorize enough scriptures. If you just get these things in order, get a haircut, start making better choices, avoid sin, go to church, look nice, then God will be pleased. The Christ-centered uh, exposition commentary said that uh, God is not interested in a personal remodeling project. He wants to make remake you and reshape you from the inside out. So he's telling me, it, it's not about how you've been born. It's not who your family is. That's what you placed your faith in so far. But it's about my life being in yours. I want to change you from the inside out. I want to make you brand new. Flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. He's telling him that you have to have a physical and a spiritual birth. It's and crazy. Yeah, go ahead. And as usual, he totally disregards who this guy is or what would be practical saying, you were Israel's teacher and you don't understand me. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> He knows he knows who he knows who's standing there, right? Yeah. Right. He knows everything about him. And he's telling him, you, you've done all of these things and you've missed it. Yeah. Yeah. Nicodemus, you taught all of these things and you've missed it. And what I think is fascinating about this, why I wanted to start at the end of the story, is Nicodemus could have got frustrated, right? He could have just been like, oh, you know, he just totally dismissed me or totally said these things. But Nicodemus didn't. In this passage, he gets to this famous verse, John 3.16. And I would ask you all, um, how did you learn it growing up? From, from my Sunday school teachers when I was a child. Yeah. And you probably, did you use the word begotten? Most likely in Mississippi, I would. Yeah. <laughs> Esther Ortiz told us the other day that when she was uh, eight or nine years old, was it? She memorized the whole chapter, John 3, and she can still say it, right? Yeah. She memorized the entire chapter so that she could go to summer camp for free. Wow. And she got to summer camp. We long camp, got to summer camp. One of the first things they had to do, she said kind of payment for her going for free. She had to get up in front of everybody, oh you know, God. and say John 3. Oh, wow. uh, and she said that the struggle she had is she had learned John 3.16 from a different translation, right? So when she got to John 3.16, it was always tough. And for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, some of us say. I love the way this one said it. For God loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world in this way. Nicodemus was encountered by that truth. He was encountered by those thoughts that this is what it means to be born again. From a Jewish perspective, in this, uh, from the, uh, the Messianic Jew, Jewish writer I was reading, and all he talked about um, from that aspect is from someone in Nicodemus' standing. Nicodemus could be born again from a Jewish tradition seven different ways. He could have a Gentile conversion, which he didn't, but in their in their terms, that would be being born again. He could be crowned a king, but he wasn't crowned a king, but in their tradition, they would say that would be being born again or born from above. He could have a bar mitzvah, which he did, 
He could be married, which being a Sadducee, part of the requirements of being a Sadducee was to be married, so he was married. He could uh, be ordained as a rabbi in that setting. He was that, and he was a leader ahead of the, of the Jewish council there with the Sanhedrin. So he had matched four of these six ways to be born again. And when Jesus said, even those, they're not good enough. Have my life in yours. And that's what it means to be born again. I like the connection between John 3, 14, and when Nicodemus showed up again. He said, as Moses lifted up the servant, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the scripture tells us that when Jesus was lifted up, that's when Joseph and Nicodemus went into action to make sure that he was buried. And I wonder if Jesus said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I wonder if, if there was a, a moment where they watched him lifted up on the cross and, and went, oh, yeah, he talked about this. Mm. And being a good Jew, Moses was important to him. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. He brought back a story that was very familiar to him, right? He would know that story. He, Jesus didn't have to explain that story a lot to him. He would know it. Mm -hmm. If we jump ahead to, to John chapter 7, now we're, we can spend a lot of time in John chapter 3, right? So there's some wonderful things there. But in John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, we see Nicodemus mentioned again. Verse 50 tells us Nicodemus, the one who had come to him previously and who was one of them, said to them. So he's talking about the Pharisees again. The one who came to Jesus tonight, he was one of them. Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him. And knows what he, he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They reply, investigate, and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. <clears throat> I, I don't think at this point that Nicodemus is publicly or, or understanding truly what it means to follow Christ, but he is questioning in here. He is saying um, He's willing to defend Jesus' right to be heard before he's being condemned. And for me, this is another idea that, that he came to Jesus and asked him questions because I believe that Nicodemus wanted more than he had. He knew that there was something more that he needed. And he asked Jesus, and I think Jesus recognized that in Nicodemus' life. That's why he just cut straight to the heart of the matter of what it means to be born again. You can't just put your faith in how you were born. You can't just put your faith in who your parents are. You can't just put your faith in the fact that you come to church. How many of you all coming to church as a kid, uh, when you got in, you might have got an envelope when you first went to Sunday school and you put your offering in it, and on that envelope had boxes on it, you know? <laughs> I'm here today, I brought a friend, I read my Bible every day, I studied my lesson. And, you were on time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> read Scripture daily. Read Scripture daily. And for me, I recognized after a while, all this little thing was trying to do was teach me to lie, you know, because I didn't want my <laughs> teacher thinking, that I hadn't done these things. And, and Jesus is telling Nicodemus, my standard is perfection. You, you can't 
personally live up to these things, but you need me in your life. And I think Nicodemus wrestled with that and knew that. And he kept thinking about it and kept listening to Jesus and following Jesus. Was it in the chosen where Nicodemus's wife is like, uh, I don't want to lose all this stuff if we don't follow him. The Jewish tradition and the, the rabbi's writing tells us that um, when, and this is not in scripture, okay? This is from their history. That after Nicodemus started following Christ, he lost everything. Mm-hmm. And his daughter was going around begging for bread. Wow. And and part of the part of this author's uh, understanding and estimation of that was it was kind of a warning to other Jewish people that if you follow Jesus, <laughs> you're gonna lose everything. Mm-hmm. But Nicodemus, even in here, he was willing to say, no, he needs to be heard before we condemn him. And then I believe at the end of the story, we recognize that Nicodemus was a follower of Jesus. And he was ready, even being a secret disciple, he was ready now to make a statement and an acknowledgement of that this is my friend. This is my savior. I brought 75 plus pounds of spices to wrap his body in. Spices fitting for a king to be buried. If they wouldn't have taken Jesus' body, he would have been thrown in a ditch with the two other criminals on the cross and with a lot of other people. And if if a body raised from there, it would just be one body out of many. Who's going to recognize that? But a body raised from a tomb, right, that only had one person in it. With a Roman guard. There's no doubt that that body was raised. And I wonder if Joseph, at one point, and Nicodemus, when Joseph gave his tomb for Nicodemus, for a Jesus body to be placed in, he remembered those words of Isaiah in the prophecy that said the Messiah is going to be laid in a rich man. And he recognized that that's And it was a security when they rolled the, rolled the stone. Didn't they, uh, Romans, Roman guards, they put a seal on it? To, yeah. So that, that seal... Nobody broke that seal. Just like Alan saying often at the city of Jerusalem where the Muslims put concrete on the door so that uh, <laughs> Jesus is not going to be able to go through. Yeah, right. uh, that'd be the worst job in history to be the Roman guard who was uh, responsible for trying to make that stone stay. Yeah, George. Does, does the sealing of the doors by the Muslim leadership indicate that they do have some belief that Christ is coming back? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) They know it's going to happen. They also put a cemetery at the base of the wall by the uh, beautiful gate, the eastern gate, because a Jewish rabbi was not not allowed to pass through a cemetery. (laughs) So they they double whammy to this. A cemetery at the base of the wall, and we'll see it when we go. And a... Concrete that filled up the, the beautiful gate. We'll go in the lion's gate and out the sheep gate, but we will just look at the beautiful gate because it's all closed. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give this over to Alan tonight. Um, but I want, us to, keep going. I want us to be thinking of this. All right. I was going to lead over and say, I want to take a little more of your time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, for Tad, yeah. I, I, I want us to be thinking of this as we go into Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have people here who uh, have questions about Christ, have questions about you. And I want to make sure that those people are going to the right people for answers. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but also think about 
Joseph and Nicodemus, Nicodemus, especially in this in this series, in this part of it. What happened to these men? What change happened in their life, right? They were ready to follow Christ. And they were part of the group, right? That was part of this trial, this fake trial, this awful trial that contemned Jesus. And they were men of, of power and wealth because they were able to talk to Pilate and say, we'd like his body. Pilate gave him his body. Something changed in these men to give them the opportunity to make a declarative statement in this act that I am a follower of Jesus and the love that they have. And they were willing to risk this because of that. And are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, well, it, 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 might, it might change my work schedule. It might change my... Um, I might need to talk to family members that I haven't talked to. I might need to share this with someone. I might need to do this with someone. Are we willing to risk everything to follow Christ? What's our faith placed in? When our world crumbles, are we leaving? Or are we going to be there ready to put our faith in Christ and have him to see us do everything? What does it look like? So Sunday, we'll look at these things about faith. And uh, I will enjoy uh, talking with you all about mm. those things. So. Well, are you going to sing the solo, I Surrender All? Good, <laughs> <laughs> right? When they have come forward, if other disciples have come forward. Because <clears throat> other disciples were what? I? Where were they? Um, and I, I think that. Joseph and Nicodemus probably had um, more standing. To get the body. I don't even know if they, if any of the disciples could have gotten permission. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the women were at the tomb. John, uh, I mean, at the cross. John was at the cross. But the, the Romans were very hierarchical. And they, as far as they were concerned, leave the bodies up there to rot because it's an example to everybody else. But because the Jewish law did not allow uh, a Jewish person to be on a cross at a Sabbath, mm-hmm. um, they had to get them off of the crosses before sundown. And that's why they broke their legs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they had to be dead, and the only way to stay alive on the cross is to push up with your feet because your your lungs are collapsing, and the people on the cross die of asphyxiation, and so their lungs are collapsing, they can't breathe, they push up with their feet, and so the Romans would break their legs at the shin so they could no longer push up, and they would die more quickly. Uh, that, but as the scripture prophesied, Jesus was already dead as the soldier uh, was able to ascertain. Do you think they, we don't know on Joseph, but Nicodemus anyway, maybe there was some kind of conviction and calling of God in combination with guilt? Because he clearly had not decided prior to this. The passage that John read a minute ago where the, the scripture said um, in John 7 that the accusation was made and somebody said, 
have any of the Pharisees. And I can almost think Nicodemus was going, well, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but because they have any, if any of the Pharisees had believed, then it would have given credence. The officers of the court, they said, we've never heard anybody teach like this. And have, have any of the Pharisees believed? And, you know, there's Nicodemus and possibly Joseph, and I would guess a handful more yeah. who who genuinely connected Isaiah's prophecy with the, the fulfillment in Christ, mm -hmm. even as Philip did when he witnessed to the Ethiopian. He began with where the guy was asking questions and using Isaiah, he led him to an understanding of Christ. Mm -hmm. 